minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, back on the Anarchist World This Week on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. So if nature calls, you fall asleep because it's boring, you've had a hard night, Asia knocks on the door and asks you about your neighbours, not you, obviously, because you listen to the Anarchist World This Week, they would never, never, never knock on your door. Well... Don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast at 3cr.org.au for the next few weeks. Anarchism. Possibly one of the most, not misunderstood words, one of the most slandered words in human history. Anarchos without rulers. An anarchist society is a society without rulers. A, without, na, akos, ruler, without rulers. Very simple. So what's the anarchist plan? Well, how do you create a society without rulers? You create a society without rulers with by devolving power. That means breaking down hierarchy and institutional structures. And you create a society without rulers by sharing wealth. Simple concepts. Even I can understand them. That's what makes it so simple. So that's what anarchism is all about. Simple concept. So how do you devolve power? Well, one mechanism, not the only mechanism I know, is through direct democratic means, where the people involved in the decision make that decision and then appoint recallable delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional, national, and possibly even international level. It's hard work. It is hard work. It's easier to let rulers do it all for you, but then all you can do is complain and bitch and carry on, all right? So it's hard work. It is hard work to live in an anarchist society. It means participation. Not just participation every three to four years casting a ballot to elect a representative to make decisions for you for the next three to four years when you know that representative doesn't really have the power because real power in our society lies in the boardrooms of national and transnational corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the national, human, social, environmental costs. We know that. You know that. So it is a difficult concept to implant. Now today, I'd like to answer one question. Now, a lot of people think we're 
idiots. That's right. Because we believe in the innate goodness of human beings. Right? The only way an anarchist society can be coming to being is everybody's nice and pleasant and nobody's disruptive. Well, I'm the first one to say this is crap. And I won't use the word fake news. Problems arise when individuals like me and Mr. Donald, President, my apologies, I'd almost uh, denigrated the man, President Donald Groper. I won't put Turnbull, or is it Turnbull? I've forgotten his name. I've got the uh, Donald disease. You know, when you give one person absolute power, that is the recipe for mass murder and disaster. Because obviously each and every one of us is capable, if the conditions are right, of perpetrating the most heinous crimes and we can actually rationalise those crimes because we needed to protect our society, our family, our income, you know, anonymity. The list goes on and on. It's very easy to rationalise things. So each and every one of us is capable of that. So when you see in human history the periods when you've seen great destruction and death, it usually occurs when one person or a small group of people control society, whether it's the state apparatus or a different type of society, whether it's religious base or whether it's a secular society, like a communist society where power is concentrated in a central committee whether it's in like uh, the Islamic, the so-called Islamic State group, where power is concentrated in the, in the hands of the theocracy, a leadership of that theocracy. So when you have hierarchy, you create the scaffolding in a community which allows people to use the power of the state to impose their will on people, whether they're elected, as we saw in the case of Mr. Uh, sorry, President Donald Groper, or whether they're self-appointed, as we see in North Korea. It's the same end game. So anarchism is about breaking down that hierarchy to ensure megalomaniacs like me, that's right, megalomaniacs like me, would never be in a position in an anarchist society to enforce our will on other people because power is devolved. Power, there are mechanisms which which exist which don't allow me, as a megalomaniac, to exert my will on other people by using institutionalised authority. Simple concepts. All right. Now, another thing I'd like to do today and maybe I'll do it a little bit more often, maybe once a month, is just talk about an anarchist who's made a contribution to the struggle to create an egalitarian community. Now, I first met Haki Rak in 1986. 
He was born in 1912 and he died in 1997. And I met him in Melbourne, of all places, because Haki Rack had came as a representative or a delegate, not a representative, a delegate of the Korean anarchist movement to Melbourne in 1986 to help us celebrate the centenary of anarchism in Australia because the first anarchist group in Australia was formed on the 1st of May 1886 by the Melbourne Anarchist Club. And in 1986, the Libertarian Workers for a Self-Made Society, Anarchist Media Institute, organised a centenary celebrations which saw anarchists from all over the world come to Melbourne to celebrate that event. And Haki Rack, who I'd never met before, came and he was a guest. And I went back to Korea a few, a few years later and was a guest of his. Now, Haki Rack was a professor of philosophy at Seoul University. He was a writer, he was a philosopher, he was an anarchist, he was an academic His political life began when he was 17 in 1929 when he was involved in the uh, big student demonstrations in Gwangju. And those of you who think the name Gwangju is familiar, there were mass demonstrations in 1980 which basically uh, was the beginning of the end of the uh, military dictatorship which had been imposed on South Korea by the United States. During the Japanese occupation of Korea, which was quite a brutal occupation in the 1930s, Haki Rak joined the uh, Workers' League of Tokyo. And he, after the liberation of Japan, after liberation from Japan, after South Korea's liberation from Japan in 1946, 1945, he formed, he formed, he helped form the first Korean anarchist organisation, Jayu Sahoi Kun Sul Jayun Ming, League of Free Social Constructors. And many Korean anarchists who'd fled into exile during the uh, Japanese occupation came back. In 1972, Professor Haki Rak formed the the Korean Anarchist Federation in Seoul. And in 1978, he published a book, The History of the Korean Anarchist Movement. So, he was a a man who had a finger in many pies. He helped found the Independent Workers and Farmers Party in 1972 and he's also involved in, uh, obviously, many activities. He died in uh, 1997. Just, it's important sometimes to remember people who've made a contribution who've made a contribution to our movement, who've made a contribution to the struggle to create an egalitarian community, who just didn't sit in their armchairs and waited for the right revolutionary moment to occur, but who were active constantly during their lifetime 
trying to improve the lives of the people around them, their fellow human beings around them. I mean, that is the mark of an anarchist. The mark of an anarchist is somebody who doesn't sit in an armchair pontificating and criticising, but actually getting out there, doing things, getting involved, trying to improve the lives of the people around them, trying to create egalitarian structures, trying to devolve power, trying to redistribute wealth. Now let's move on to 2017. Now on Thursday, the 23rd of February, that's Thursday, the 23rd of February, there will be a solidarity gathering, not a demonstration, but a solidarity gathering outside the Melbourne Magistrates Court at 233 William Street, Melbourne at 9am. A bit early, isn't it, I hear you saying, but no, 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 courts start early. Now, this rally is held in solidarity for Timon Snotar, T-I-R-O-M-E-S-N-O-T-A-R, who's facing charges of trespassing on Commonwealth property. You think, so what? So what? Well, on the 5th or the 6th of January, Mr Snotter went into the Indonesian consulate grounds and raised a West Papuan flag. This caused a diplomatic incident and the Indonesian foreign minister, three or four weeks after the event, was frothing at the mouth at the fact that the Australian government had not arrested this criminal and charged him. I mean, the irony wasn't lost. And West Papuans and other three West Papuan activists in this country. Here we are, a government which has brutally occupied West Papua, which has led to the direct and indirect deaths of over half a million people since that occupation began in the early 1960s. A group which makes the flying of the West Papuan flag anywhere on Indonesian saw a criminal offence which leads to a 10-year jail sentence. Governments which have plundered West Papuan's resources and a military which uses those resources for its own uh, general's uh, economic gain. A government which is he's been involved in the oppression and suppression of West Papuans on a daily basis. Most people who attempt to raise a West Papuan flag in West Papua are shot dead on the spot. And on the 1st of December, which is West Papua Independence Day, it's not unusual for a dozen or a half a dozen or two or three dozen people to be shot dead for attempting to raise a West Papuan flag. Now, for the... Indonesian foreign minister to be, you know, to feel aggrieved, to be angry, to attempt to put pressure on the Australian Federal Police to charge Mr Snotner is quite extraordinary. But let's not forget that the Indonesian Secret Service and the Indonesian military has spies in this country which keep an eye on West Papuan activists on a daily basis and are involved in low-level harassment of these activists 
we never see the Australian government, you know, kind of say, piss off, this is Australian soil, why, why are your spies here? You know, because obviously they've got their spies there. So on Thursday, the 23rd of February, it is your opportunity to show some solidarity with Mr. Tyrone Snotter. 9am, outside the Melbourne Magistrates Court, 233 William Street, Melbourne. It'll be a small gathering, but it'll get larger when you arrive. Look for the West Papuan flags. They won't be going to the court. They'll be outside Magistrates Court to show solidarity with Tyrone, to show that there are people who care, to show that there are people who are not willing to be pushed around by the Indonesian government, unlike our own government, which, you know, asks the Indonesian government to how high to jump if they're asked to jump. Think about it. Join us. Well, join the people who'll be there. 23rd of February, 9am, Solidarity Rally, outside the Melbourne Magistrates Court. Tyrone will be inside. You know, uh, I'm not sure whether he's going to plead guilty or whether he's going to fight the charge, but we'll see what happens on the day. So this is an opportunity for you to become involved and learn about the West Papua independence movement in this country. Now, the Defend and Extend public housing campaign is spluttering on from week to week, month to month, year to year. And it is a fundamental campaign. It is a fundamental long-term campaign, which is aimed not at revolutionary change, but which is aimed at forcing, embarrassing the Andros-led Labor government to defend and extend public housing and to force governments across the country, both state and federal, to take an interest in the concept of public housing. Everybody talks about public housing affordability, but nobody seems to be doing anything about it. Because that's the beauty of living in 21st century Australia. You know, one day, huge issue, front page news, every radio, television station, every, you know, every chat line, every Twitter, it's all about homelessness. Mm-hmm. The next day, it's all about a plane crash. The next day, it's all about the Martians landing on the moon. You know, I made that up. So, issues come and go, come and go, come and go. And it's really up to us to act as protectors. I don't consider myself, when I'm involved in organising, defend and extend public housing rallies on the steps of Parliament House... I don't consider them to be demonstrations. They are not demonstrations. What they are, rallies by people who are protecting the public. Who are protecting the public. We are the public protectors. We haven't got guns and we haven't got capsicum spray, but what we have is ideas. And that's what it's about. Now, the next public rally, Defend and Extend Public Housing Rally, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, and you can organise the same rally in your state if public housing is an important issue to you and to the people around you or the organisations you're involved in. I mean, the days of begging and beseeching governments to change policies have gone. You really have to force them through non-violent direct action. So the next rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House 
will be on Wednesday the 8th of March, which is International Women's Day. And at this rally, which is open to you know, men, women and children, we will only have women speakers on the day. We've already sent out invitations to every one of the uh, women in the House of Assembly and the Legislative Council. I think there's over uh, 50. And I don't expect many of them to answer. And uh, Beryl, who is coordinating this particular day, has also been sending out invitations to other women. So if you know somebody who you think should speak, contact us. Leave a message on the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing. Or leave a message on 0439 395 489. We'll put them on the platform. And also, as we do at all these rallies, there'll be an open microphone which will only be open to women on the 8th of March. Because obviously, housing is a central issue in increasing numbers of people's lives. This is not a campaign about just about homelessness. This is not a campaign about renters. This is a campaign which affects everybody who is not an investor in the real estate market. Because obviously investors in the real estate market really aren't interested in having a strong, viable public housing sector. Because a strong, public, viable public housing sector, which is financed by the government, is competition for them and actually decreases their real estate values. So they're not that interested. So it's a campaign which should interest 85% of Australians. All those people who are paying mortgages, those people who are paying rents, those people who are couch surfing, those people who are in public housing is going to find that public housing is going to become social housing or community housing. The list goes on and on. So International Women's Day, Defend and Extend Public Housing Rally, Steps of Parliament House, midday to 2pm. Join us on the day. I've been a doctor now 41 years. This is my 41 years and I'm still practising. Never quite got the hang of it, so I'm practising. And what I find extraordinary is how people don't seem to understand there is a political dimension to most health issues in our community. Not just in terms of access, the more resources you have, the better the access you have, because you can access both the private sector and the public sector. Well, if you don't have resources, you're totally reliant on the public sector. But what I find quite extraordinary is how many people, not just in the forest, but in the community as a whole, don't seem to understand that the role of medicine is to minimise harm, not just to the individual but to the community. I'll give you an example, simple example. You can't get more simple than this. Everybody bitches about the cost involved when people have an addiction problem, whether it's alcohol, whether it's ice, whether it's heroin, whether it's a designer drug, whether it's recreational use, whether it's addictive use. 
whether it's cocaine, everybody is up in arms. Well, except the users. Everybody's up in arms saying, this is terrible. This is terrible. Because of the market-driven nature of an illegal drug, where in order to get access to it, you need to pay the market price, and most people who've got an issue getting access to it don't actually have the resources to pay the market price, so they steal, they assault, they defraud. And then there's the public nuisance element of it, you know, finding a body in a toilet in a fast food restaurant. Stuffs up the business for a day, doesn't it? Let's not forget the personal cost to the family of the people who's who've died. When we, the state, and I've been very, 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 very economic here, driven, you know, have to look after their families, children, for decades. So there is a huge cost, not just a personal cost. Obviously, there's a huge personal cost to the person who's got the addictive problem, but there's also a huge personal cost to the people around that person, but there is a huge personal cost to the community in terms of crime, in terms of incarceration, in terms of access to healthcare services. And everybody's up in arms about it. Ho, ho, ho. So when somebody comes up with a simple concept where... Drug use is decriminalised and the total effort is about harm minimisation, not just harm minimisation to the individual and their their immediate friends and family, but harm minimisation to the community as a whole because of the damage that addictive behaviour does to the community as a whole, the shutters come down. The shutters come down. We can't do this. We can't have a supervised heroin or supervised injecting room in Richmond. Although there were 34 deaths last year in that area alone. We can't have that. That's horrendous. And when you talk about providing, regulating drug use in order to minimise social harm oh it's a personal choice they've made we can't do that we can't do that and that seems to be the attitude in the community not just blaming it's not just the politicians it's a community attitude a general community attitude they want it both ways they want a secure environment but are not willing to put in the effort and the resources necessary to change this into a medical issue, into a harm minimisation issue. Oh, we can't do that. We need to build more jails, longer jail sentences. Let's whip them. Maybe we could cut them up or behead them, IS style. Oh, Philippine style. We could shoot them all. (laughs) Yes, I love it. So what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us as a community when we can't even see that having a harm minimisation model is not a matter of politics or religion or ideology. It's a matter of creating a secure community. 
It's the same attitude that people have to the social security net, right? Same attitude, exactly the same attitude. Oh, you've got to make them work. Bloody bludgers. And it just goes on and on. I'm not talking about politicians. I'm talking about ideas that are rife in the community, you know. People build these ideas. They see it in the media. They read about it. They talk to their friends about it. And it's quite hilarious sometimes seeing Social Security beneficiaries, you know, malign Social Security beneficiaries. And again, as I said, I see a lot of people in the week. I talk to a lot of people in a week. I have an understanding of what, you know, is happening out there in the real community. Because of my constant interaction, I'm not a permanent political activist. I'm not a paid political activist. I do what I can in the time I've got. So, because I've always believed you need to be able to interact with the community you live in so you know what's going on. You know what people are thinking. And you think to yourself, this is madness total madness when we allow ideological, religious, political concerns dictate attitudes we take. For example, obesity. And I hate to be, use a tautology, big problem for the community as a whole. Big health problem. Big health problem. But we never look at the political dimension. We never look at the food cartels which dominate the production of food in this country who for a profit are quite happy to pump out cheap sugar laden carbohydrate rich food we have communities where you don't need to walk and the list goes on and on so there is a huge political dimension which needs a political solution which means Political representatives need to have a little bit of courage. A little bit of courage, but it seems to be something that's lacking in the Australian psyche. Courage. Courage to do something in a different manner. As soon as somebody puts their head above the parapet and says, let's do it differently. What we have been doing for the last 20 years hasn't worked. The war on drugs has been wonderful regarding increasing prison numbers, but it really hasn't addressed the issue of addiction in our community, whether it's legal drugs or illegal drugs. Gambling. Now, don't think I'm a wowser. I like to have a flutter, okay? But gambling. Look at the way it's been commercialised. Look at the way people like Packer make their fortune, you know, from gambling. And there are casualties. There are casualties of these industries. And why should we, the community, why should we, the community, carry the cost of the casualties which occur because of a certain commercial venture. All right? There are casualties as far as the alcohol industry is concerned. There are casualties as far as the gambling industry is concerned. There are casualties as far as the food industries is concerned. 
Now, you, legally, are responsible for your actions. And if you do the wrong thing and you're an idiot like me, you know, a little person, you'll be paying the cost for it. If you're a very rich person, most likely you won't. Right? We're not all equal. We're not all equal before the law. It depends on, you know, the type of legal advice you can afford to pay. And everybody will agree with that. So... Why? Why aren't these people, these industries, asked to pay for the damage they cause? And the damage they cause in a medical sense, as far as the health bill is concerned, to the community is concerned, can be quantified. I'm not saying you ban these industries. I've never thought that way. I say let them pick up the costs. Let them pick up the health costs the social security costs, and maybe, just maybe, we won't find this reckless abandon as far as they are concerned in trying to get as many people hooked onto their products that we see now because there is a cost involved for them and it means their bottom line suffers. So why aren't we debating this issue? There is a cost, and although that cost may be transferred to the consumer. The issue is if something is so dangerous that it causes so much community angst and damage, the people responsible who are making a profit, whether it's legal or illegal, should be responsible for the costs. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Ruscombe, I'm hosting today's program. If you want to leave a message, 0439 If you want to write to me, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can download the public interest before corporate interest application form from pipsy.net. Pipsy.net. You can uh, you can uh, go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. You can go to my personal Facebook page and see what political activities and so activities that I'm involved in. Toscano for the public. The number four. Toscana, the number four, the public. Simple. Become a friend. Share it. I'm trying to do a thought bubble every day just to get people thinking about different issues, but not just thinking about issues. This is not a program, you know, just to help you understand the world. This is a program which is designed for you not only to understand what's happening, but to get up off that couch, off that computer chair, out of that bed, Open the door, look around, walk down the road, catch a tram, get in your car and become involved in activities that are out there. And there are plenty of activities out there because change doesn't come from wishing things to happen. You know, it doesn't come from wishing things to happen. Change comes when people start becoming involved initially as an idea 
then there's action around that idea, then there's the push for change. And what we've seen over the past 40 years in this country is us leaving the change, the momentum for change to other people. And when that happens, nothing ever changes or things go backwards. Now, insecurity. The biggest issue in Australia today is insecurity. Whether it's economic insecurity, whether it's personal insecurity, whether it's relationship insecurity, human beings thrive in a secure environment. And they don't thrive in an insecure environment. And it's no accident that in an era we have instant communication when everybody can air their opinion any time they like, that one in five Australians have some type of psychological, psychiatric issue they are attempting to deal with. And in the majority of cases, it's due to insecurity. And this insecurity has occurred as a direct result of political changes which have been put in place to enrich a minority at the expense of everybody else in this community. I know it sounds like a paranoid, delusional rant from a megalomaniac, but think about it. Think about it. What has the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution achieved? And it has achieved many, many, many things because it has changed the mindset of Australians, especially those who were born in my era, especially what is loosely described as the baby boomers, especially those radicals from the so-called radicals from the 60s and 70s. And I was part of that movement. Where are they today? Or they're enjoying their gains. They've changed their attitudes. They're the first ones that'll scream about, you know, uh, security, more jails, keep those refugees out. We all hate social security beneficiaries because we're self-funded retirees and the list goes on and on. So attitudes change. So a generation which was supposed to herald in a new world has now become the banner carriers, the flag bearers of the corporate sector, the flag bearers of corporatisation because they've been sucked into through legislation, sucked into the investment game, trying to, you know secure a secure future by having enough assets you know to enjoy their lives the last part of their lives it's just extraordinary change in attitudes come from political change they come from from legislative changes so the deregulation privatization globalization corporatization revolution has been a wonderful success a wonderful success for those two australians who own more assets than 25% of Australians. It's been a wonderful success 
for those 15% of Australians who get tax benefits for getting rich. I love it. I love it. Everything I fought against is now in place. It is such a wonderful world. Apologies to Louis Armstrong. I love it. Here we have self-serving people rorting the system legally. And how can you rort it if it's legal? Not paying tax, bitching about those Social Security beneficiaries and those workers, especially those criminals who are members of unions, you know, those horrible organisations that stymie um, profits for shareholders. Horrible people, unionists. Should all be shot. Oh, Oh, yeah, we can bring in more 5-7 visas to take their place. I mean, I know I'm pushing here. But pushing it uphill. But think about it. Think about Australia 2017. The tax evaders, those who denigrate other people, they're the heroes and heroines of the 21st century. They are the giants we look up to, the great philanthropists. If they paid their fair share of tax, they wouldn't have any money for bloody philanthropy. There'd be enough money for public housing. They are the great People who you see in the Australian honours lists year after year and all their apologists. That's the type of society that's been created over the past 40 years and we've seen that radical generation of the 60s and early 70s be the flag bearers, carry the arms, do the intellectual work for that globalisation, privatisation, corporatisation, deregulation, revolution that has swept this country, that has changed people's mindset. And who are the losers? Hmm? Who are the losers? People like you and me. People who work hard, do the best we can, be as fair as we can, pay our taxes, obey the laws, try to pay off a mortgage, or pay the rent on time. And what happens when you miss a payment, or you're late for your electricity bill, or your gas bill, or your rates, and the list goes on and on, the pressure, the screws are on you to pay on time. While there is no pressure on members of boards, and the major shareholders of multinational corporations to actually pull their finger out and do something to assist people in this country and get this country moving again. No pressure on them whatsoever. With their fancy lawyers and accountants, they you know, they get away with murder. Political murder. And it is murder. When you think about it, when you've got industries that are creating conditions which lead to the suicide of people or the unnecessary deaths of people because of that particular type of industry and they are not compensated, their families are not compensated or people aren't asked to you know, clean up, clean up their own mess. That is murder. It may not be the type of murder you see on the front page of the newspaper or read about, you know, on the net, but it is mass murder. And for us to allow that to continue to occur is crazy. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. So honest, reliable, 
hard-working people are losers in this society. Nobody gets a brownie point or a gold star for being hard-working and honest. You can work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a bloody week on a minimum wage for one of these as a subcontractor for one of these corporations who take their money to time to pay you your money and you fall behind in your electricity bill or gas bill or your rent or your mortgage and within a few days you know you have a problem. You know you have a problem. And that's the type of society we have helped to create. People like you and me, we have helped to create that society because we have failed. We have failed to articulate our ideas to the wider community. We have failed in our attempts to try to explain what has happened. And people have stepped into our place who believe the problem is not corporatisation, is not deregulation, is not globalisation, is not privatisation, but people who believe the problem is the other, the person of a different colour, race, Religion speaks a different language, wears funny clothes, and the list goes on and on. It's always the other. And if we get rid of the other, we will have a perfect society. IS-like, same mentality, same bloody mentality. It's only people that are exactly like us that, you know, should be around and should get all the rewards. Same mentality. So we have failed. We have failed. But what's important is we understand that we have failed using the tactics that we currently have used and it's time to look at different ways. And the time is ripe for social change, cultural change, political change. It is ripe. And what we need to do is we need to fight the other. We need to create a climate where the issue isn't the other, but the issue is the fact there's a small number of people, those that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, and that 15% of Australians, that's the 1% is the 15% of Australians, who are enjoying their gains, legal gains, from investment-friendly laws which allow people to make more money and the more money you make the less tax you pay and the less personal responsibility you have that we need to be able to point the finger point the finger at why we find ourselves in a current situation why do we find ourselves in a, in a situation where two people own more wealth than 25% of the population Why do we find ourselves in a situation where most people are so insecure, whether it's personal insecurities, economic insecurities, that the rate of psychological and psychiatric issues have have risen astronomically over the last two or three decades? We're not happier. 
we're not happier. We may have more garbage, and we've got so much garbage we now need to store it outside our own homes because our own homes aren't big enough, you know, to take care of all the consumer goods we've uh, bought. And we may have widescreen TVs, and we may have the national broadband network, you know, and we may have the latest computer gadget, and we have that little iPhone which tells us everything about that's happening in the world. And we may be in instant communication with somebody with the same peccadilloes as us on the other side of the universe. And we may think we know everything, but the reality is nothing has changed. We've got more goods, more gadgets, but our lives have actually got worse. Worse. It's extraordinary. Insecurity, angst, drug addiction, family violence, it goes on and on and on, on every available indicator, on every statistical indicator, on every medical paper published in a reputable medical journal regarding social and cultural issues, we have gone backwards. And as a community, we have gone backwards because for far too long we have been willing to wait and wait and wait and wait, and wait, and wait for somebody to do something about it. And wait for us to get off the couch and do something about it. And every week, I'm here in the Anarchist World this week, talking about different issues, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see people say, enough is enough. I'm waiting to see people on the streets. I'm waiting to see people take, you know, put their faith in different political parties, they've got different agendas. I'm waiting for people to take extra parliamentary action. I'm not saying one is as good as the other. What I'm saying is the key, the key to creating a successful, secure community's participation is don't leave it to the expert, don't leave it to the politicians, don't leave it to the mass media, don't blame the other, become involved. There are always issues you can become involved in, but not just issues, because you don't just want to be involved in an issue. You want to be involved in a social and political movement that wants to change things so that we don't have to go through these issues time and time and time and time again and protect what's been won time and time again, because we've forgotten. Collective amnesia is an Australian hallmark. People say Australians are brave. They talk out. They're independent. No. It's about collective amnesia. Collective amnesia about the way the society was created. Collective amnesia about the tens of thousands of men, women and children who were sacrificed to create, to give us the, the things we take for granted, like public health and public education, public infrastructure, and the list goes on and on. We have forgotten our history. We are a people without a history. We are a people that is not willing, not willing to change, that is waiting, that is weighted down with the burden of death, that has no expectation but the expectation to pay the next bill. And that's why we find so many of those electoral campaigns to be so... Trivial, trivial, and it does suit those people. You know, those people who exercise power to trivialise things. It does suit them. 
does suit them to us to be fixated on celebrities and what they're wearing and food pornography. You know, I've never seen so many food programs in the history of the universe. It's important that we are not sidetracked. We can be sidetracked any day. I could talk to you about stamp collecting, Mustang cars, do a whole program on Mustang, Zephyr Zodiacs, and the list goes on and on. But they're just little trappings. They're not life. They're nothing. They're consumer goods. You put them on a pile, you burn them, they're gone. They provide nothing. Think about it. Your future, I hate to use this because it's very common, your future lies in your hands and in the hands of the people around you. You can't change the future. But collectively, you can change the future and you can create that new world in your heart. You can do that collectively with the support of other people who think the same way. So if you're interested, become involved. If you're not interested, don't waste your time. Thank you for listening on The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.net. You can join public interest before corporate interest. You can download the application form we're going to pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can become my friend. I need friends. Come to my Facebook page, Toscano for the public. Toscano for the public, okay? Come to the Facebook page. Become a friend. Read the fort, fort bubble. Make a comment. You never know. You never know. We may become real friends in the next world. Okay. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I still find it exciting getting a letter and answering the letter. I usually answer them Wednesday night. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to the Defend and Extend uh, Public Housing Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. And don't forget... 23rd of February, 9am, Steps of the Magistrates Court, 233 William Street, Melbourne, Solidarity Rally with Tremone Snotar, who's been charged with trespassing on Commonwealth property for raising a West Papuan flag in the Melbourne Indonesian Consulate grounds. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Remember, this program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3CR dot org dot au the podcast three cr dot org dot au this is Joseph Toscano signing off listening to the Anarchist World this week next week evil minds that plot destruction sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.